Hello and welcome. My name is Amelia. You guys might know me as DJ EJ, and this is Club Crime, a true crime broadcast recording here live at KTCU. So if you don't know me, a little introduction for our first episode of Club Crime. My name's Amelia. Um, I'm a radio DJ here at KTCU. I'm currently studying theater, looking to go into the performing arts. And you know, I've always just kind of had an interest in the occult and crime and all of that kind of like weird historical events and stuff it's always just kind of fascinated me and I really got into true crime really like how everyone else did at the height of the pandemic and you know listening to a lot of true crime podcasts and so when I joined KTCU I really wanted to you know have my own true crime show that I could you know go out and basically release for everyone to hear and to love and this is something I'm so so proud of but of course this is club crime obviously it's a club and I can't do this alone so I'd like to introduce you to my guest um, she's sitting across from me this is Sydney I'll have Sydney introduce herself Sydney please say hi to everyone and hi everybody. tell us a little bit about yourself of course um, I am also a theater student here and I love everything ooky and spooky and so I am so excited to be here. I am a BuzzFeed Unsolved connoisseur. Oh, me too. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Okay, so you have to promise everyone that I didn't tell you what I'm going to tell you about today. I promise. I have no idea what I'm doing. So that's kind of the rules of club crime, just to kind of introduce them. So I bring on a new guest each week. I don't tell them anything about the story that I'm going to tell them beforehand so it'll be a total and complete surprise and Sydney it's your job to react ask questions add in your own personal anecdotes and just anything really you want to add so please stop me at any time that you want and say really whatever comes to your mind about anything awesome I definitely will do that <laughs> okay are you ready for me to tell you what tonight's story is gonna be I'm so ready tonight I will be telling you about the Manson family cult oh yes <laughs> sources for tonight's story include Britannica Smithsonian magazine Wikipedia and and this might surprise you my grandmother oh but we'll get into oh, that later we be better so the cult itself was created by Charles Miles Manson in 1967. Um, but before, you know, I tell you about the cult and everything, mm -hmm. we should kind of talk about who Charles Manson was. So Charles Manson was born November 12, 1934 in Cincinnati, Ohio, to mother Kathleen Maddox, who was only 15 when she had him. So <laughs> very young mother. You can kind of tell like the start of like a very troubled. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I don't did not have a great, <laughs> did not have a great childhood. Um, his father was never confirmed, though it is widely believed that his father is one Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr., who was a local con artist who was in fact not actually a colonel. That was just his given name that he used to convince Kathleen that he was part of the military. And it kind of seems that he just convinced her that so that she would sleep with him no, pretty much. No, I don't like that. Tomfoolery is running in this family. Yes, I don't like that. Very much tomfoolery. So before Charles was born, Kathleen married William Eugene Manson, whom Charles got his last name. Okay. So it's not his biological father's last name. William, though, divorced Kathleen in 1937 after stating that she was not doing her duties as a mother Ew. because it was widely known that she was a huge alcoholic. Honestly, work. Good for her. 
and in 1939, Kathleen was arrested with her brother Luther for assault and robbery. Oh my God. So already Charles is maybe five years old, and That's he's already getting asking. taken away from his mother. Oh, my. Oh, he got taken. Okay. Well, she got arrested. She's oh. getting taken. I didn't think So from then on, he moved between relatives, mainly his aunt and uncle, sometimes back to his mother when she wasn't, you know, doing Alcoholics Anonymous and when she wasn't in prison. Um, and her, his mother was basically going through tons of different husbands. I think her full name like has three last names like oh, wow. branded onto it. She kept the names of all of her ex-husbands pretty much. That's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of that. Keeping the ex's names. Me neither. So but trophies. Yeah. She kept all of them. <laughs> Um, so he was moving between, you know, various different family members and then Charles started getting institutionalized. So not necessarily in like prisons or juvenile halls, but basically at just different like homes and schools for boys. Um, but most of which he was treated incredibly terribly. He was being beaten, bullied by the other students because he was just different. Yeah, I bet you he was. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But his early offenses included truancy, petty theft, setting his school on fire, robbery, and then other similar crimes. And mind you, he he lit his school on fire in third grade. In third grade. So it wasn't like he was well, like he wasn't, he wasn't a teenager. He was a little elementary school kid when he was setting his school on fire. That's, that's terrible. (laughs) But eventually, in 1951, after escaping the Indiana Boys School with three other boys in a stolen vehicle and driving it over state lines, which is a federal offense, Manson gets sent to Washington, D.C.'s National Training School for Boys. And this is really interesting. So he gets to this school, and they, do, they run a bunch of tests on him, and they deem him illiterate and very antisocial. However, he has an IQ of 109, which is above average. So okay. he's this very smart person. He just can't read and he doesn't like to be around people, which, you know, kind of makes sense given his circumstances of like yeah. while he was growing up and everything. Um, but leading up to 1967, after he eventually gets out of this boys' school, he's in prison twice, arrested on multiple occasions for rape, pimping prostitutes and other huge federal crimes Charles he does Manson steal was a pimp he was a pimp <laughs> and he did on multiple occasions like that stealing the car and driving it over state lines that was like a multiple time thing oh, like God. this man was doing that over and over and over again but during this time he also marries and divorces both of his wives so this in his entire lifetime he only had two wives uh-huh. despite the Manson family being mostly women His first wife was Rosalie Jean Willis, who was a hospital waitress at one of the, like, hospitals I think he was admitted to while he was in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, They married in 1955, and they had his first son, Charles Manson Jr. Oh, that poor boy. What a name. Um, But they divorced in 1958. Okay. And then his second wife was a young woman named Leona Stevens, who he had pimped her as a prostitute at one time. So Damn. just this past prostitute. Um, he married her in 1959, so not even a year after divorcing his wife. And they had an alleged son together named Charles Luther, though that child has never been completely confirmed. So we don't know whether or not the child's real, if they are real, or is actually Charles's son. But yeah. she claims, you know, we had a oh, son together. I or bet whatever. she does claim that. <laughs> 
and they divorced while Charles Manson was in prison in 1963. Why did he go back to prison? I think in that case, it was a similar thing of he got arrested for pimping and then, you know, gotcha. stealing cars. It was just kind of this repeated, like, similar offenses over and over again gotcha. until eventually they weren't. But during this last time in prison, this is where Charles learned how to play guitar. He was kind of being like, oh, I want to establish myself as a musician. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets released from prison on March 22nd, 1967, the year that the cult began. Of course. So he's released from prison and he moves to San Francisco. And because in prison he learned how to play guitar, it's also kind of funny. Do you know the actor Danny Trejo? Yes. He was in prison with Charles Manson. No. (laughs) And it wasn't like they were friends or anything, but they were in the same prison together at the same time at one point. That's crazy. So it's kind of interesting. And Charles Manson has like a lot of involvement with a lot of different famous people. I was going to bring something up. I'll save it till the end. But yeah, we'll (laughs) we'll get there. So he's he's in prison. He learns how to play guitar. And he basically uses this to beg on the streets of San Francisco. He's this huge criminal. No one's going to give him a job. He's also very antisocial, so it's not like he's just going to, you know, walk in somewhere and get a job, whatever. And while he's in San Francisco, he meets his first follower. And, of course, it's a woman, and her name is uh, Mary Bruner, and she's a 23-year-old UC Berkeley librarian (laughs) um, who he moves in with. Mm-hmm. And then eventually together, they have 18 other women living with them. I thought you were going to say 18 children. That's not 18. Better. Okay. Oh, my gosh. That would have been and terrible. All of the 18 were followers in the cult? Yes. Or? Okay. So they eventually followed him. So basically, they followed Manson as this like kind of guru, philosopher. Like They loved his teachings. Um, and he basically had this personal philosophy based on the science fiction novel Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert A. A. Heinlein. Um, and it was also very heavily influenced by like the free love movement of like the hippies because mm-hmm. that was becoming very prevalent in California at the time. Um, he was also taking stuff from the Bible, Scientology, the Ugh. Beatles, basically just any kind of weird, already kind of cultish thing yeah. you could think of. And he was kind of creating his own philosophy. And eventually these teachings turned into a doomsday cult of a sense. So they talked a lot about Judgment Day by Jesus and Satan, like, coming together at the end of the world. And they were going to judge everyone. And basically his followers were, like, the reincarnation of the first ever Christians. And (laughs) they were, like, going to get the best judgment out of everyone and, you know, with all their plans, whatever. No. Um, but of course the biggest targets for his preachings were mostly female, like outcasts, very antisocial mm-hmm. people who didn't like, weren't mentally completely there. People who should have basically been in therapy yeah. pretty much. And his tactics that he used would be sexual persuasion. I figured. <laughs> and then drug ma- manipulation using LSD. So of mm. course there were a lot of like he was kind of praying not just on outcasts but like LSD junkies of being hey like I have this LSD for you you can come do it and then while you're here let me teach you of all my teachings while you're high because I was then gonna you'll, say like, those teachings sound pretty stellar when you're high I'm exactly. guessing exactly <laughs> so I'm sure you know they were all really into it. But in the summer of 1967, the Manson family leaves San Francisco and they go to Los Angeles, 
okay. which is where most of their biggest crimes took place. Um, but, and here we go again, oh. on April 15th, 1968, Mary Bruner has Manson's second confirmed son, oh my God. Valentine Michael. What? Which, what a name. Is that a male or a female child? It's a male child. It's a son. That's so unfortunate. Valentine. And I can't tell if it's Valentine or Valentine, but it's... There's not a better option. There's not a better option than <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Okay. Yeah. So it's just this weird situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mostly women, but he does have a few like male members, which we'll kind of talk about later. But he's basically just preying on anyone who will listen. Yeah. Anyone who's like, you know, like him, not this person who's completely there someone who's basically just been abandoned by society and he's sort of taking them and being like you know i'm this leader of this cult let me take you in and we'll make everything better together and gosh just that whole situation um many of the manson family members though started taking on aliases so mary bruner was taking on names such as mary Ock, Auk, Mother Mary, Mary Manson, Linda D. Manson, and Christine Marie Ukes, which was like <laughs> such weird names. Ugh. But all of the Manson family members were, including Charles Manson. Wow. Um, I don't have any of his names listed here, but, you know, he was. You know, like, none of them wanted to be kind of known by society. Yeah. And, of course, they were committing crime. They're doing LSD. They're a cult, which cults are illegal. So they're just kind of trying to stay at the moment under the radar. But they get into L.A. They have this huge, like, converted school bus that they all drive down in together. (laughs) Um, And, of course, like we talked about earlier, the cult has involvement with many, many famous people. Mm -hmm. But they were most notably involved with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, who Mm -hmm. housed the family until they were evicted from his home. No, I did not know that. Was he a member? Why did he do that? So... Initially, they get there. I don't remember how they get his address or anything, but Mm -hmm. Dennis initially meets Charles Manson, Mm -hmm. and I think they do LSD together, whatever. Okay. And so they started getting housed. Well, of course, you know, Dennis Wilson was kind of taking on the whole role of Charles Manson that, like, using sexual persuasion, and both Charles Manson and Wilson kind of looked down upon women so oh. they was very much like treating them badly but he did pay dennis wilson did pay for like their gonorrhea treatments because <laughs> these women were not you know very sexually clean and just yeah. paying for basically all any all of their needs he was housing them whatever that's so crazy and really interestingly the beach boys did actually so charles because he was like this wannabe musician was uh-huh. writing music and he gave the beach boys one of his songs no is it a famous one it's no it was okay. a, considered a flop um, okay <laughs> i'll have to look up in a second what the song was but it was like a flop but they did like produce his music no. and he auditioned in prison charles manson <laughs> so way back before 1967 he auditioned for the monkeys oh my god and didn't get in yeah. like great but yeah so dennis wilson and dennis wilson was also kind of introducing him to some of like his famous friends so like people who worked at like universal studios <laughs> and all these other musicians because it's you know he looks like this typical hippie and you know maybe he has yeah. some weird ideas but you know you know he could jo- like jolt us to fame not in the way that y'all would have eventually wanted yeah but 
you know, he does seem like this kind of person that they can trust, whatever. But they do get evicted. Um, I think it's just because Wilson didn't own his house. The landlord finds out, Mm. oh, you have like 30 people living with you. Like you need to get these people out of here sort of situation. So they eventually um, get evicted and they go and settle on Spawn Ranch, which is this old Western movie and television set. Like it's it's real buildings and it's a set that was used for multiple yeah different western style things and so they move in there um it's in like topanga canyon so in relation to la they kind of had like places all over los angeles but spawn ranch became sort of their headquarters Mm -hmm. of a sense and so topanga canyon it's north of burbank maybe by like 20 30 minutes okay um, so a little bit north, not in kind of the heart of L.A., but still like close enough to basically everything to get his fame and fortune to get his fame and fortune. Um, were they legally there? OK, so like, <laughs> sorry, let's get it. No, don't worry. So <laughs> it was this old Western movie ranch. So it's owned by, owned by this man named George Spawn, obviously the namesake. He's 80 years old mm-hmm. and he lets the family stay in return for helping him run his horseback riding business. So he had, like, a horseback riding business set up that, like, people, I guess, could go, like, tour on horses up through. Topanga Canyon has these, like, hills and stuff that you can kind of go hiking on. So to help him with that, do chores around the ranch, and then, of course, provide him sexual favors. So Charles Manson was forcing some of the family members, who were probably doing it pretty willingly, considering how much they idolized Charles Manson, to give this man sexual favors so that they could stay. Pretty much. Gosh. So here's where we can. So we're going to take a break from all the hard facts. Okay. And this is where my grandma comes in. Yes, I have to know. I don't want to say that my grandma knew the Manson family, but she on several occasions had many interactions with the Manson family. What does that mean? So my grandma and grandpa are from Texas. Okay. Um, This is on my mom's side. And... Um, I think when my uncle was like four or five, they moved from Texas to kind of that Topanga Canyon area. Oh, gosh, okay. So she gets there and, you know, it was kind of an old fashioned situation of the husband would go to work and then the women were staying back to like, you know, be with the children and kind of whatever. And it wasn't because my grandma like didn't have a job. She eventually became a school teacher, but it was because they didn't have a ton of money back then. Mm -hmm. And so they needed someone to stay home. And of course she was pregnant at the time with my mom and, you know, having to take care of this four year old little kid. Like it was just a whole situation. But she would go do her washing with her friends as something to do. And the Manson girls would be there begging for money. Because that's how they were making a lot of their money was just going on the streets and, you know, begging people for money and picking up men and women to, like, come back to the ranch to be members. And so she would be in there and the Manson family, like, very much stood out. They had very, like, the women had very long hair, Mm -hmm. you know, looked like hippies, um, never wore shoes, and they were never in the laundromat to do washing. They were there just to get money from people because they didn't have any money and then like down the street was a liquor store and that's where charles manson would hang out and they would get the money and then run it down to charles manson to give to him and my grandma saw charles manson like on multiple occasions just at the liquor store and she 
said like he very much stood out he was this very much like unkempt even more than like a regular hippie was Uh just terrible beard everyone all of them were dirty like you would tell they weren't taking care of themselves Mm -hmm. or anything long hair and then he always wore his really famous jacket which was this buckskin like deer hide jacket that had like fringe going down the arms and he was always wearing that and she said like you knew it was him and she said she never talked to any of the Manson family members and she never talked to Charles Manson, you Good. know, thank God. But, <laughs> but she said, like, you know, they would talk about them and it was like, oh, that's Charles Manson and this is the Manson family. But this was before any of the big crimes happened. So no one really knew that there was anything kind of suspicious going yeah. on. They just thought, oh, it's this, like, weird family that doesn't have a lot of money who's just kind of begging on the street. Like, it wasn't, at the time in their heads, it wasn't this yeah. suspicious situation. And my, I was asking, like, my grandma about this because basically the whole story came up to me. Do you know the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I haven't seen it, but I know. Yeah, it's a Quentin Tarantino film, for those of you who don't know. And it kind of revolves around, you know, the Manson family and their big crimes that I don't want to, like, spoil for yeah. later. But um, I I, she was the one who took me to go see it. Because she had really wanted to see it. And I remember getting out of the movie theater with her. And she goes, oh, did you know that, like, I interacted with the Manson family? And I remember just being so appalled. And then recently I asked her to kind of follow up, like, what was your reaction when you started seeing them on the news? And she was like, well, it's terrifying when you're this single mother who's, or not single, but, you know, yeah. you're home alone with the kids and find out, oh, this family that i was interacting with basically on a daily basis is a bunch of you know murderers and killers like i'm like in awe that this is true it's like isn't that so insane and she was pregnant with my mom at the time like i think that's just (laughs) so like weird that like it's (laughs) like i don't want to say i have a personal connection to the manson family but i i definitely have a connection like exactly so it's really interesting but We'll kind of move on from that, but it's, like... That's insane. So that's the reason, like, I wanted to do that story tonight Mm. is because it's, like, I have this personal connection to a story. Might as well do it for our, like, inaugural club crime episode. Yeah. I'm trying to process faster, but that is the most insane information I've heard in so long. And, yeah, it was the most insane information (laughs) I had ever really heard because I was, like... You don't know how to process that, really. Hang on. While we're paused on the facts, I have to know what Charles Manson looks like. Because I have no idea. Okay, yeah. But from how much he's getting away with, I feel like he has to be hot. He's really not. Okay. Let me, while you're looking that up, I'm going to look up the Beach Boys song. Okay. Um, Beach Boys. We'll check our facts. Yeah, we're both checking. We're both facts. no. He's very gross, and he has these Ew. scary eyes. Like he's the, for those of you who are just listening who have never seen Charles Manson, he has these like huge eyes, and I don't even know how to. But they look wild, don't they? Like, I'm really hoping this doesn't come into play later. Probably does, but I did just find a picture of him with the beard you were talking mm-hmm. about with a swastika on so his. So this forehead. will come okay. in later. Yeah, I just saw that one. Oh, so the song Ooh. the song was called Learn Not to Love. Okay. Um, originally, it had a different name called Cease to Exist, but mm. it was basically just a reworked, altered version of that song that okay. Charles Manson wrote. Um, 
He made his mark. He made his mark. <laughs> and from what I know, I think he was also like releasing songs while in prison oh. and like released his own music. And Is he on Spotify? No. Probably not. No. I'm sure a hundred. But if anyone. I don't want it to be in my search history. I, I mean, shameless it. plug right now. If anyone wants to go search on Spotify for Charles Manson's music and send it in to at Club Crime Official on Instagram, <laughs> go for it. Um, and also go follow at Club, um, Club Crime Official on Instagram just if, you know, as a little casual thing to help help us out and support us. But kind of moving on. So we're going to now get into the actual crimes okay, that the I, cult has committed i have to tell you i did not even know that the manson family was a cult i thought it was a real family i have no idea what any of these crimes are genuinely Mm -hmm. like not even from previous knowledge so i am so excited oh my god this is so exciting because i feel like this is one that a lot of people maybe you'll know it once i kind of start talking the names but i don't think you'll know all of this okay so their most infamous crime was the murder of share actress sharon tate and her friends sharon tate do you know anything she was like from yes okay so she was a famous actress in the 60s most known for her role in the movie valley of the dolls okay so it she wasn't in a lot of movies Mm -hmm. and she wasn't at the time very popular but like today most people wouldn't know like the most people today only know her because of her murder that makes sense um but she was married to filmmaker roman polanski i know that name so he um i think wrote and produced and directed rosemary's baby gotcha that horror movie so basically manson and tate had their first interaction on March 23rd, 1969, when Manson entered the grounds of 10050, so 150 Silo Drive. Okay. So kind of just a weird, you know, that address is now famous because of the murder. But Gotcha. So it was owned by Terry Melker, who was a music producer and business associate of Dennis Wilson. Okay. So that's how like Manson knew him, but it wasn't, they were, it wasn't like a Wilson situation where they were close. Mm-hmm. It was just that they had maybe met a couple times at Wilson's home. And then somehow Manson got his address, Ew. that okay. sort of situation. So Manson just shows up one day, of course, you know, kind of shows up he was never invited by anyone to be on the property not on that day not at any time he just showed up okay so he's met outside by um i'm gonna totally butcher this name so i apologize it's shakro hatami okay and he's this iranian photographer who's there to take pictures of sharon tate before she goes to rome for some sort of film opening that i think roman polanski was doing okay so she does not live there. She was just taking She's there. So she's renting out this property. Oh, got it, got it. You're all good. So her and Roman Polanski are living on this property. They're renting it from Milker. And then the way the property works is there's this big main building, and then there's a guest house in the back, like a smaller guest house. Okay. And there's people living in both of them at the same time. So Manson gets on the property. He's met by Hatami. And he basically gives Hitami this weird unknown name. And it the name's never stated, but it's just kind of this, like, made-up name of, like, I'm looking for so-and-so. Do you know where they are? 
and Hatami doesn't know what this name is. He asks Manson, like, you know, what are you doing on the property? Mm-hmm. And when he gets the name, he tells him, you know, go to the guest house in the back and see, you know, if they know who this person is. Oh, God. Okay. And as kind of Manson's walking back there and coming back, Tate comes out of the house and she's like, you know, do you know who this guy is? What's he doing here? Whatever doesn't actually really fully interact with Manson but Manson definitely sees her yeah and they both see each other Manson walks back to the guest house for like maybe one or two minutes tops walks back to the front and then basically just leaves okay like it's this whole weird interaction um but later that night Manson returns to the property okay um and this time he's actually looking for Melker but he doesn't go to the main house first. He goes back to the guest house. Mm. And when he went earlier that day, the resident of the guest house wasn't there. But when he gets there, he's met by the resident, Rudy Altobelli, okay. who Manson had also previously met at Dennis Wilson's house. Oh, okay. But according to Altobelli's account, he had only met Manson once. And even though Manson told him, hey, I'm looking for like Melker, he felt that Manson was there looking for him because they had met once and it was this weird offhand thing. But the way, like the vibes that he got mm-hmm. from the interaction felt like you're actually like looking for me. Mm. So Alta Belli tells Manson that Melker had moved to Malibu, but he also lied to him saying, you know, I don't know um, Melker's address, which he did know. Yeah. He just was not going to give it to this really strange guy that he had met once. Yeah, why would you? Um, Manson's then asked to leave and please do not disturb anyone in the main house. And it's later revealed that this day was not the first day that Manson had been to this house. He had been (laughs) to this house multiple, like on multiple occasions, just when no one was there, just kind of scope it out and walk around the property. So very, very creepy. So fast forward several months and the Manson family have already killed two people. These are very much less notable, but the first man was a drug dealer named Bernard Lotsapapa Crow, and the second one was a music teacher and PhD student at UCLA named Gary Allen Hinman. That makes me so sad. I know. He's this very young man. The first guy was murdered because one of the, like, kind of main male members of the Manson family, Tex Watson, he was on the side, like, drug dealing, and he stole from... um, crow like lots mm. of papa crow um who was also a drug dealer and crow basically threatened the entire family with a gun saying hey we're gonna kill you and then they killed him first okay. and like dumped his body nobody deserves to get killed but that one at least like kind of makes mm-hmm. sense i guess and then the second one was um gary allen hinman the ucla student mm-hmm. and he was kind of like a prospective member of the family like oh was meeting with them, listening to their teachings, but the family was under the impression that he was the super rich guy. Okay. And he told them, you know, I don't have any money. I'm just a PhD student. And they didn't believe him. So they took him, kidnapped him, held him hostage. He was like, please, I don't really don't have any money. And they killed him when they just no. never got their money. Um, oh. But individual members of the cult were arrested for both these crimes including family member bobby busoli but the entire family was not yet like implicated of like doing these murders it was just like you know the police found one of them was able to implicate them and just like arrest Mm -hmm. them but then we get to the most famous you know Uh, manson family murder okay on the night of august 8th 
1969, Charles Manson instructed family members Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Linda Caspian, and Patricia Krenwinkel to go to 150 Silo Drive and kill anyone that was on the property. Why? So it wasn't just like, hey, go kill these people. It was just, hey, anyone you see on this property, kill them. Why? Did he, like, did he want it? Or? So we'll get, the motive okay. is gets explained later, but initially I think, I don't think anyone in the family was just told a motive. Okay. Or it was just based on, like, his teachings as a guru. Because they were yeah. a doomsday cult. So I think it was based on a lot of, you know, yeah. we're beginning the judgment of others for Satan and Jesus. Oh, okay. Whatever. Ugh. So Roman Polanski was not present on the property because he was away in Europe filming a movie. So the family proceeded to kill Sharon Tate and her friends that were staying with her. And her friends that were staying with her were Jay Sebring, Abigail Folger. And if Folger sounds a name, she was like the heiress of the Folger coffee. No, like she could have been the coffee queen. She could have been the coffee queen. <laughs> and then um, another name I'm going to butcher, Wojtek Frykowski. Hmm. all great names honestly in my yeah. opinion much better than valentine michael oh, they messed up on that one <laughs> they dropped the ball <laughs> um they also killed um teenager stephen parent who was there to visit the property's caretaker no and they killed him in his car he wasn't even like fully no. on the property he was like in his car like leaving okay they didn't follow instructions then if he was not he was i mean he was on the driveway but okay whatever that so he's leaving upsetting. Unfortunately, Sharon Tate was eight and a half months pregnant no! when they killed her. <laughs> and it was with her and Polanski's baby, and the baby unfortunately died along with Tate. So they weren't able to save the baby. No. And then the Manson family proceeded to use Tate's blood to write the word pig on the front door of the house. No. <laughs> That's terrible. So then we get to their second most infamous murder. Okay. Which happens the very next night. Of course. August 9th, 1969. But in that day, in that morning, um, I think they were found by the caretaker, the maid. It was someone who was there to, like, come clean the house or something. Mm -hmm. They were, the, the whole crime scene was basically found, and it blew up all over the media. Because, obviously, Sharon Tate's this huge up-and-coming actress. Mm -hmm. We have a coffee heiress. We have, basically, these bunch of super rich people and mm -hmm. then we have like at the time the most famous filmmaker's wife you know mm -hmm. it just blows up and the investigation begins but of course the manson family is still not completely like implicated so we cut to the next night august 9th 1969 and the four original family members are sent along with leslie van hooten steve clem grogan and then manson himself who drives them okay and they go to the home of um, Leno or Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. Okay. And kill both of them. Of course. That's what I expected. So they do kill them. And I don't think this one was as clear as to why, how they got the address in the first place or yeah. why they were there. But it should be known that both group murders on each night, it was definitely people who were pretty well-to-do, pretty wealthy mm -hmm. had quite a bit of money and then later that night manson sends um what's her name susan atkins um no actually it was linda caspian he sends her off 
because I think she gave him like a name of her friends in the area that were nearby and she send he sends her on her own to go kill them but she intentionally knocks on the wrong door Mm. because she doesn't want to kill these people so she knocks on the wrong door because I think the plan was hey they'll open the door you kill them and we'll leave but she knocks on the wrong door and no one answers so she's kind of able to get herself out of it so similarly to the Tate murders um, this group writes um, with the LaBianca's blood um, the words rise and death to pigs on their walls and then on their refrigerator door, the big infamous phrase, which we'll talk about more oh later of why it's infamous, the word helter-skelter on helter-skelter. the refrigerator door. Okay. This very kind of weird phrase, but yeah. basically it was just like, you know, equally as terrible. They were killing these people for seemingly no reason. Um, so now we're at nine confirmed murders. Okay. However... There are around 14 other suspected Manson family murders across all over L.A. that were suspected to be done by the Manson family, but were never truly Mm -hmm. confirmed. So it just like circumstantially everything made sense, but they just didn't have enough actual evidence to definitively say like it was these people. That is insane. It also should be noted that Manson never killed anyone himself. He was ordering everyone (laughs) else to kill everyone. Cults are bad. Killing people are bad. He kind of had the right idea. Like, not in the killing, but, like, if he was going to do it. If he was going to do it. Yeah, he didn't want the blood on his hands, whatever. (laughs) So, over the next few months, fortunately, Charles Manson and his followers followers do start getting arrested. And the way that they pieced it together was really interesting because... They originally, for the Tate murders, they, like, knew the Tate and the LaBianca murders were connected. Mm-hmm. But the only real people that were in the area was the caretaker of the Tate family house, the mm-hmm. Melker house. They arrested him, and I think he said something about Manson, and then they were, but it didn't make sense because he wasn't there that night, and he passed, you know, his all his tests and they made him do a lie detector test which Mm -hmm. isn't always like a viable way to test people but back then like he completely passed it it showed that he wasn't lying so man no that so it wasn't him and then they were investigating those two other murders so the drug dealer murder and then the ucla student and the evidence from that pointed to the manson family especially because for the ucla student's murder they had arrested someone they arrested bobby busoli who was a family member. Oh. And so I think he probably also like implicated the family because they yeah. he probably knew the plans all along. Oh man. So fortunately they do get arrested and several motives get introduced. You know, mm. it's Charles Manson. He's this incredibly crazy man and the female members that get arrested really won't speak unless Manson really tells them to. So a clear motive originally isn't like known they're like why did you guys do this they don't tell them then eventually the most popular idea becomes the idea of helter skelter which was that word uh-huh. or that phrase written on the refrigerator door of the LaBianca's house so the idea um or motive was created by lead prosecutor for the case um vincent bugliosi mm-hmm. i think i said that right so he was the lead prosecutor for charles manson and the manson family So according to him, 
Manson was obsessed with the idea of Helter Skelter, named after a Beatles song of the same name. Oh, I didn't even put that together. No. Helter Skelter. I didn't, and I've listened to that song before, too, and I never really fully put it together either. Um, and, of course, what we talked about earlier is Manson got a lot of his philosophy from, mm-hmm. like, Beatles songs and, you know, their teachings and those. Mm-hmm. Whatever teachings you can really get yeah. from a Beatles song. Um, but Manson believed that Helter Skelter wasn't just a song name. It wasn't just like <laughs> he actually created like a meaning behind it. And the meaning behind it was that it was a pending race war that would see thousands die and force families to disappear or force the Manson family to disappear into underground caves. Oh, this weird kind no. of out of pocket just yeah. comes out of left field idea. I was going to say, because, like, up until then, it was, like, not normal serial killer, but, like, kind of normal serial killer stuff. But that, the caves? The caves. That's ridiculous. And the underground caves, I think, were going to be in, like, Death Valley. And I remember reading something that the Manson family was obsessed with this idea of, like, there being this huge sinkhole that was actually a bottomless pit in the middle of Death Valley that they needed to get to once, like, Helter Skelter was starting. And just, they, like, it was this really bizarre crazy thing so manson believed the helter skelter that with the the race wars would begin with african-american people first attacking white people oh my god he's a racist i never would have guessed <laughs> um but this and he thought it was gonna just like kind of start happening oh. and of course this is all connected in like the summer of 1969 so he had this idea of like that summer this stuff's just gonna start happening the African-Americans are going to start killing the white people. But, of okay. course, it, it didn't start happening. Yeah. So the family basically just took it upon themselves to make Helter Skelter start. Oh. And basically what they said was they committed the Tate-LaBianca murders to show the African-Americans what kind of violence they needed to be enacting on oh. white people. Because I was going to ask, because I thought uh, the people that got murdered were white, that's really fucking bizarre. Yeah. So the people who all got murdered were all white people. Um and then in 1974 after the trials had ended whatever, Bugliosi published his book Helter Skelter: The True Story of the Manson Murders, which was the first, you know, large-scale account of what the Manson mm-hmm. family had done um and with their crimes. And I've read kind of in researching for this, I did read like little bits and pieces of it here and there. Um mm. and it's a really interesting book and to see it from like a lead prosecutor's eyes of like actually having been in the room with Uh manson whatever it's it's gross it's weird it's just you know but that was that was their belief of like helter skelter was gonna come and (laughs) part of their whole doomsday ideolation whatever not helter skelter that's so goofy isn't that such a weird like like, phrase yeah i don't even know where the beatles got it like, how did the Beatles get I bet get they're that regretting phrase? it right about now. <laughs> I, yeah. So Charles Manson and his co-defendants were tried all throughout 1970 in California. And Manson was sentenced to death in 1971. Okay. But, of course, his sentence was commuted to just life in prison because um, capital punishment was abolished in 1972 in California. Really? So, yeah. So the death sentence is no longer legal in California. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. It's not everywhere in the U.S. It's right? not everywhere okay. in the U.S., but in California, 
um, capital punishment is illegal. So they had, you know, it's like, oh, we can't kill you anymore, but you're going to be in prison for the rest of your life. (laughs) Move them to a different state. (laughs) Exactly. So this trial had a huge media frenzy, of course. I bet. And initially it was because like, oh, like Sharon Tate was murdered. But then it started being like, oh, this family is insane. What else do we have to talk about right now? We're going to talk about this crazy like Manson family. And even President Richard Nixon at the time spoke publicly saying that he believed Charles Manson was guilty, whether he did the murders directly or indirectly. Yeah. So everyone basically like knew that this family was guilty and they had the evidence to prove that. Um, Manson himself, though, was very disruptive throughout the trial. And he would come into the courtroom with an X carved on his forehead. So, like, right here in between the eyebrows. Um, He was constantly wearing his fringe buckskin jacket, which is the jacket my grandma said she constantly saw him wearing. That's so good. Um, He attacked a judge at one point. No, he didn't. Oh, my God. Um, Like, fully and came at him with a sharpened pencil, like, trying to stab (laughs) this judge. He was, of course, with all the police officers in the room, was, like, you know, restrained and held back. But I have a full quote here. Okay. So he asked at one point to give a testimony without the presence of a jury. And it was granted. So he was just in front of a judge. And I have his testimony okay. here. And it's, I don't want to say it's bone chilling, but it's just like, you can kind of see where he's coming from. But it's also like, you, you want to agree with him, but you really don't. Yeah. Like, he's this terrible person. But some of the things he says is just like, mm, like, okay. you are kind of on the right page whatever so this is the quote quote these children that come at you with knives they are your children you taught them i didn't teach them i just tried to help them stand up most of the people at the ranch that you call the family were just people that you did not want i know this that in your hearts and your souls you are as much responsible for the vietnam war as i am for killing these people I can't judge any of you. I have no malice against you and no ribbons for you. But I think that it is high time you start looking at yourselves and judging the lie that you live in. My father is the jailhouse. My father is your system. I am only what you made me. I am only a reflection of you. You want to kill me? Ha! I am already dead. Have been all my life. I've spent 23 years in tombs that you have built. Oh, oh no! I have chills going on my arms it's, right now. That it's is... a terrifying thing, but at the same right. time, you're like, yeah, no, I I get what he was saying, and like some points were made. Right point, knowing... not the right person. To exactly, say it. knowing like everything leading up to that, that was, ugh, like that made my skin hurt a little bit. So on the day of his actual sentencing, mm-hmm. Manson arrives at the courtroom with a shaved head and a pointed beard, stating, I am the devil, and the devil <laughs> always has a bald head. So he just made himself Bro. look like the devil, pretty much. He's so corny. <laughs> However, initially, none of the female co-defendants shaved their heads, because at this point, they had also like done the X in their forehead. Uh-huh. They were doing whatever they could to follow Manson. But I think they were starting to get the idea of, like, if we keep doing this, we're going to get in worse trouble than we already am. So they didn't immediately shave their head. That's so funny. Um, and that was kind of in speculation by Vincent Bugliosi in his book. He mm-hmm. was kind of saying, like, they showed up still with long hair. And eventually I think they did shave it. But at the time I think he was like, okay, like, it makes sense that they don't want to get in more trouble than they already are in. Yeah. 
And on April 22nd, 1971, Manson was admitted to state prison from Los Angeles County. And during this time, he gave several like NBC interviews, CBS interviews, Mm -hmm. and to large media outlets. And this is where the swastika tattoo comes in. So around 1981, during one of his, you know, whatever like interviews Mm. he just kind of showed up on camera with a swastika carved where the x used to be on his forehead and it it was yeah so the swastika was tattooed on but the x the x was like yeah um and in i think 2007 unreleased footage gets released from one of his nbc interviews Uh and i think they only played like seven minutes of it because it was so terrifying to watch of how like unhinged this man was and he was just like this terrible person in prison but what's kind of sad is this goes back to his days where he was initially like getting institutionalized in like boys Mm -hmm. homes and schools it's always been said that like every time he was in prison even though like towards the end of it he was getting more and more crazy Uh he seemed to like being in those like institute like he seemed to start like knowing what to do and like misbehaving less because that was maybe where he felt the most safe maybe like that's where the childhood like he wasn't closest to his mom at that point so like Oh my gosh. So it's just terrible. Like he seemed to almost thrive being in prisons and being in jails. Um, But in 2017, Manson died. In 2017? 2017. So he's... That was recent. Yeah. I did not know that. So he lived a really long time. He died from cardiac arrest resulting from respiratory failure brought on by colon cancer on November 19th of 2017 and he was 83 years old oh my god so he lived a really long time um i think his final actual interview though was around like 2007 2008 still like i don't know i don't remember that happening but i i do (laughs) i do remember him dying but at the time i didn't really know who he was maybe that's what it is it was just like oh this guy died you know why are we talking about this man who died with a swastika on his forehead? Yeah. But, um, but most of the other Manson family members that were implicated are still in prison and alive today. Oh, really? And until recently, I was always told, so my hometown is San Luis Obispo, California, mm. and kind of like not even five minutes from my house is this huge state prison. Uh-uh. And it's not the one that Manson was in, but it was, I was always told that was the one that Tex Watson was in, who was the one who like killed Sharon uh-huh. Tate he was originally sent but until recently I actually found out that he's actually in San Diego okay so but it was kind of like I well, heard I when I first started like researching this and everything I that's what I had been told because I initially kind of got into this story after seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm-hmm. and I don't remember who told me but someone told me that he was in that prison near my house and that, that like scare scared me, me. Mm-hmm. yeah it was just <laughs> it was so terrifying so since then, of course, to this day, the Manson family is still this huge, infamous sensation that, you know, people still talk about. Yeah. People. So, of course, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I did not know that's what it was about. It's not completely about the Manson family murders uh-huh. and stuff, but it does center around that. And, like, the whole, like, final act of the movie is basically completely about the Manson family. Interesting. Um, spoilers ahead for the people who haven't seen it, <laughs> but basically ends with you know 
the main characters killing the people who killed like Sharon Tate and like Sharon Tate surviving at the end of the movie so almost this thing of like what happened if you know the Manson family didn't end up actually killing the people they were (laughs) sent to kill I would have never guessed that that's what the movie was about in a million it's years. Whole, it's a whole weird thing. Um, funnily enough, um, Austin Butler, who played Elvis, no. plays Tex Watson No. in the movie. Don't tell me that. And I remember oh, no. that was the first time, and he died, that was the first time he dyed his hair like dark black <sighs> before the Elvis movie. And I remember seeing him being like, is that Austin Butler? And he just... It was so like weird, yeah. and I, um, Maya Hawk is in the movie. No. She plays this Manson family member who is sent to do the Tate murders, and she just like doesn't want to do it, so she leaves. She bounces. Okay. Um, oh my gosh, no! I think Dakota Fanning is one of the family no. members. Is someone Charles Manson? I, or is he not in there? I don't remember. I'll, look, I'll, I'll you look it up. Um, but there's like multiple occasions where like. You know, um, Brad Pitt's character interacts with the family and oh, Leonardo no. DiCaprio's <laughs> character. And Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters are like complete fictional characters. But mm. um, Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate. Oh, no. I knew she was in the movie. I didn't even put that together. So she plays Sharon Tate. Um, but other famous depictions, um, American Horror Story. American Horror Story cult, which focuses around, like, a fictional cult. Mm -hmm. It does, like, you know, show flashbacks to, like, famous cults throughout history. And the Manson family is one of them. And I think Evan Peters plays Charles Manson. (laughs) That's so funny. Also, I look. He was in the movie, played by Damon Harriman. But it says, many were surprised how little there was of Manson in the film. It was only what became little more than a cameo. Mm. So I guess. Which makes sense. Why, like, I didn't fully remember yeah. him being in the movie. Crazy. But it's interesting, yeah. And then we have a South Park, like, spoof oh, of it. Of and it's did. called, I think, Merry Christmas, Charlie Manson. <laughs> I haven't seen that episode specifically, but, like, basically <laughs> a lot of big popular media has spoofed Man. this. Um, there have also been movies made fictional movies kind of regarding the whole thing there's a movie called helter skelter of course course. there's like the haunting of sharon tate just Mm. all these you know scary things and i think it's interesting just how long lasting this was in our history because of how like different it is Mm -hmm. i don't know if you think about like every um like serial killer or whatever that's Mm -hmm. like still famous it's because there was something like very standout about what they did versus like they just stab people like Mm -hmm. okay actually i don't mean this to be graphic Mm -hmm. but like is it known what like kind of murders they did where like i don't know because like you know like what i can pull up the details right now um it was a lot of stabbings okay i can tell you that um i remember specifically from the la bianca murder they initially didn't like kill them like in the tate murder they basically just went in and started stabbing okay and this murder though with charles manson there he like went in and told them like put pillowcases over their heads and then they like bound them up in like a room and poor um like mrs labianca because i remember i think she escaped and was trying to like fend for herself but all she had in the room was a lamp and so they ended up you know killing her but it was definitely a lot of stabbings okay 
I was just curious because it's like, you know, like how Ted Bundy did mm-hmm. his stuff. So I didn't know if it was like a famous way or if they were just going quick uh, yeah, and easy. Yeah, it wasn't a famous way. I think the most famous part was that they were writing words with gotcha. the blood. Okay. So that's kind of the biggest thing. And oh, I don't like, it's just, and Helter Skelter, that's the that's biggest so standout for me. Of, where did it come from? I get that it's based on a Beatles song, but just. Where did they how, get it? How, yeah. How do you percolate this idea in your mind? Ugh. I but don't know. That's that's the story of the Manson family and Charles Manson and the Manson family murders. Okay, the moment you said Manson, I mm-hmm. had my celebrity tie to it mm-hmm. that I think is so funny. Not funny, it's fucked up. <laughs> but um, I've been saving it. So there was a girl that he was involved with, kind of dating, kind of mm-hmm. seeing, now that I've heard this, probably mm-hmm. just having sex with. And her mother mm-hmm. got very, very worried that he was like a bad dude. It was before the murders happened. Mm-hmm. Took the daughter, moved her to a different country. Mm-hmm. It was Miss um, Angela Lansbury, <gasps> Beauty and the Beast herself. It was her daughter, or she wasn't the one with Charles. It was mm, her okay. daughter, and she took her daughter. I, I think to for Ireland her. from wherever they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's always the one that I hear about Charles Manson. Really, yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah. ins- I mean, I would move away. I know, because I. I don't think he had killed it, or I guess he didn't kill anybody. Probably not at that point, yeah. It was like, there was just something that she was like, there's something off about him. He's too controlling, which, Mm -hmm. yeah, he is, where that's why she took her and Mm -hmm. got her out of that, because... I mean, yeah, yeah, even my grandma said, like, there was always something off about them, but you just couldn't completely place it until, like, that all happened. You're like, unfortunately, that does make sense of, like, this family was so terrible and awful. awful. Ugh. And the fact that they were, like, a family of sorts. Like, it, I think yeah. it's so unfortunate that he was preying on these people that I think probably just wanted a family. I know. I was thinking about that. Like, they just wanted to be, you know, welcomed. And, and like, even though they were, I guess, allowed to, like, leave or join at their mm-hmm. will, it's it's giving Stockholm Syndrome. It is giving Stockholm like, Syndrome. By the time it got to the murders, I'm sure they did whatever he said because he's the one that like brought them into the family like and at least of some of them like that girl who like knocked on the wrong door like at least some of them probably did have the sense to be like this is terrible what we're doing but yeah. at that but it's like stockholm syndrome you're like i'm already in it this far at this point and i can't leave like and if they really believed what was being taught some of them probably were like we're just doing what like god wants us to yeah. or whatever like we're doing we're going by helter skelter and the jesus exactly. and satan but oh yes yeah, do you have any final questions or comments or um I think I have to go listen to Helter Skelter now, see what the <laughs> hype is. I ugh, this whole thing has just been very shocking. Yeah, but thank you for joining of me. Course. Um you've officially joined the club mm. of Club Crime. Um and please join us next week for another true crime story when we have another guest joining us and this has been Club Crime.